Hi, welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I'm Amber, and I'm here with Amanda, per usual, and our special guest, Amber O'Neill Johnson. We are so grateful that you are here, Amber. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, this is going to be great. So Amber is an author, and she's also a Charlotte Mason homeschool mom, and she teaches people how to add more diverse books to their curriculums as part of part of what she does. You may know her as Heritage Mom on the internet and on Instagram. And then she also is a contributor to Stories of Color. And we spoke with Nicole on a previous episode. So if you want to hear what they're doing there, you can go listen to that. But Amber, why don't you go ahead and tell us, I know this is like, we usually tell people this question's coming and we didn't tell you, but I like to get to know people by asking them what three of their favorite books are, or just three books that have been highly influential in their life. Okay. Um, That's pretty easy. So one is Roll Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred Mm -hmm. D. Taylor. Um, I read it in the fourth grade and it was the first time that anybody told me what had happened historically. Um, And I I grew up in an environment where I was usually like the only black child. And there have been times where I'd felt things like I thought that something, it's like I thought something weird was happening, but I thought it was me, like personally, Mm. Amber, me, the person. And when I read that book, I was like, Oh, okay. And so I think it's interesting that it's so often brought up for people attempting to ban that book in schools Mm -hmm. um, because they're like, it's so hard and there's racism and there's that. But for me, it it was like an eye-opening, life-changing moment. And it really helped me to not personalize some of the little slights that I had experienced or was experiencing because I understood in the greater context, I, this isn't even about me specifically. Mm -hmm. So um, that book for sure. That gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Did you feel like totally blindsided? Were you mad that no one had told you the I was truth? very confused. I was very confused. And I remember asking like my parents about it. And I even remember asking my teacher. And um, they both kind of said the same thing in different ways that they didn't want to, to me to be upset. They didn't want us mm-hmm. to be upset or kids like me to be upset. And so they kind of avoided it like as something they had planned to talk about when we were older. Uh, um, we all know how that so- goes. Yeah, it it wasn't. Yeah. So mostly, though, I was just really happy. I remember crying because um, it's just I was crying out of relief. Mm -hmm. Like if you think that something's kind of wrong with you, like you always wonder, why do I feel different? Why? What? What? I heard this person just said this thing, but I don't really understand it. Um, It filled in all the blanks for me. And then on top of that, let's just face it, it's just a remarkable story. And so um, being part, you know, learning about the Logan family and their mother and all of their people in their community, the way they valued land and um, educations. Their, you know, their mom was a a teacher. My mom was my, both of my parents were educators and there was just so much that I learned from it and that I could relate to. Um, and it was just a beautiful story. So it changed my, um, I'll say it changed my literary life because um, in, in a good way in that I began to see what was possible with a book uh, in a negative way in that it, it made me hunger for more of the same and I couldn't find it. So fast forward um, to the next book was Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale, Zora Neale Hurston. My English teacher, my senior year in high school introduced me to that book. And um, I talk about that in in my book. And why that was such a pivotal book is that it was the first time that I heard the voice of um, a Black woman in what I was reading. And so I was good on like the classics and I had Shakespeare down and all the things. And that's why as Heritage Mom, I try to make sure people understand that there needs to be more. Like those things are all important, but they're not enough because Mm -hmm. that, that book was like, mind-blowing for me. And now even when I reread it as an adult, I'm just like, should I have even been reading that as a teenager? <laughs> I'm not so, I don't know. I'm not sure. But on the other hand, I was about to go away to college. So at some point, mm-hmm. you, your game steps up and, and you're entering into the world of adult literature. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was the voice. It was, it was the voice of the author that 
spoke to me. Um, so I think that would um, be that. And then the third one is a little poetry book called Gladiolo Garden. And it's um, uh, written by Effie Lee Newsome. And she lived and, and wrote kind of during the Harlem Renaissance time. So along, you know, she would have been a contemporary of like Langston Hughes and all of them. And that is a book that I ran across through a rabbit trail that I chased down one night when I was supposed to be sleeping. And <laughs> um, I really wanted to bring it to the community, like the Charlotte Mason community, the homeschooling community, people everywhere, because it reminded me, um, you know, the, the book, what favorite poems of old and new or whatever by Helen Ferris, this poetry book that we all have and read in so much and everything. And those poems are really great, but they're utterly lacking in any other voices beyond just the typical. Mm -hmm. And so here was this sweet poetry book that reminded me of like Robert Louis Stevenson's poems, but Mm -hmm. the the line drawings were of these little, obviously black children and tons of poems about nature and children in nature, which is rare in and of itself, but to have black children in nature. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to literally burst if more people don't see this. And so I had found the book online on a library website. And I literally took a screenshot of each page of the PDF. It wouldn't let you download the PDF. Only you could see one page at a time. And I like pasted those screenshots and trimmed them into a JPEG, into a file. And that's how I shared it with my kids. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't share this with people. Um, and so I read that to the Living, Pre- Living Press book. Living Book Press. Living Books Press. Okay. And Anthony Cofield uh, agreed to reprint it. And I was yeah. just so excited. And that book now I see that Ambleside Online is recommending and the Charlotte Mason oh, Institute and the Alviary is recommending it. And every time I hear someone talk about it, I just do a little dance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's you so should. nice to have. That's so <laughs> exciting to have something that you brought to the community that just is making such an impact. Yes. Yeah. It feels good. Oh. I love that book. When I saw that Anthony was uh, republishing it, I was looking into it and I didn't realize that you'd brought that one back to the table, but that's fantastic. Yay. Yeah. Well, so can you briefly tell us a little bit about how you came to Charlotte Mason and her philosophy? Sure. So I was up late one night when my oldest was like three or four. My husband told me like, he's like, I really want to homeschool. I'm like, well, you work. So how are you going to homeschool? He's like, well, okay, I really want you to homeschool. And I was like, well, okay, that's hilarious. Um, and that's I thought he was- Educators? Were your parents public school teachers? Public school principals. And my siblings are much older than me. So my sister and my grandfather elected officials on the public school board. Okay. So like when I say that we were, you know, products of public education, and my husband was too. So I was like, what are you even- talking about like where are you getting that like and it was just out of the blue and I was just like oh whatever you know I thought he was he's a jokester so I thought he was kidding and and he started laughing too but now I realized he was like nervous laughter like oh she thinks I'm kidding and so later he brought it up again on a different day and he was like so I know we joked around about that the other day he was like but I was actually serious (laughs) Um, and so I was like okay that's interesting and um so I I didn't know anything about it and or what I did know were just complete stereotypes. And so I started digging around. And one night I was like nursing a baby late at night and I found this quiz and I wish I knew what website it was, but it didn't mean anything. It wasn't, I didn't know it was going to change my life. Um, And it was was like, what's your homeschooling style? Mm -hmm. And you you answer these questions and it came out, mine came out to be Charlotte Mason. And then it had, if this is your, if, if your homeschooling style is this, we recommend this book. And there was a book for each style. And my book was for the children's sake. And so I ordered it and it came. And of course I read it like so fast because nursing baby all the time. Mm-hmm. And I cried because mm-hmm. I was like, this book, she articulates so many things that were on my heart, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how to articulate. And yeah. I was already a stay at home mom, but it was getting inching closer to like where everybody around me was like going into like pre-K and all of that. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of pressure because I want my kid to be smart and successful and go to the fancy places too. And when she articulated the things that were in my heart, I was like, okay, there is another path that I hadn't been aware of and I want to explore that. So that's how I kind of got into it. Um, I didn't read the volumes until much later. I read the purple one, the Charlotte Mason Companion. Yeah, Andreola. Yeah, that was my first first um, experience. Well, 
it, it was my first experience with actually reading the books. My yes. aunt had all the pink books and she had been embracing some of the Charlotte Mason philosophy in her home educating of my cousins. And we were home educated, but using like Bob Jones and Abeka. And so it was it was very different, like going to her house and seeing how much they were reading aloud and how much they were. My uncle was very hands on, like we were always building robots in the basement and doing different things like that and making videos. And he always had a video camera and we would like do these huge productions when we'd go stay for a week during the summer. And he, they were very hands on involved in in doing things and not just filling out workbooks. And so I think when I saw the Charlotte Mason companion book, I was like, oh, this is that thing that my aunt was always doing. What is this? And I I really loved it too because it felt like it felt like the education I had tried to give myself as a kid. And so it really resonated in that way. Like I would just yeah. re- read, 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 read. And I was always in the backyard and building things and just adventuring. Amber showed me her commonplace book from like being a teenager. And I was like, oh, I didn't know your mom was into Charlotte Mason homeschooling. And she's like, oh, no, I just did this on my own. I was like, well, I've been trying to do a commonplace notebook and feeling and you did it on your own without any inspiration at all. So, wow. Oh, my goodness. That is too funny. I I love it, reading so much good stuff. You know, you don't want to lose those little nuggets that you're reading. And so you have to put them somewhere. So I was just putting them in my little books. And I had like so many notebooks that I started over the years. But Mm. one of the things that I hear a lot in different Charlotte Mason groups on Facebook is people who have just come to hear about Charlotte Mason and they think it's great. And then they look at the book lists that some of the larger groups have put together and they say there's no diversity and that this clearly isn't for them because it's, it's just you know, promoting just whiteness, like it's just a white person thing. But I obviously you don't feel that way completely. And I have a lot of other friends that are not white that use Charlotte Mason. And so how have you been able to bring more diversity into it? And what are your thoughts on that challenge of building diversity into lesson plans? And where do you recommend people start that are are looking to to add more diversity to their curriculums, even if they are white, but they they want to add that diversity in. Well, one, I just say like, no shame, because I felt that same way. I was just like, oh, Charlotte Mason equals white stuff. And um, that's because I, at the time in the beginning, didn't understand the difference between Charlotte Mason's philosophy mm-hmm. and someone's interpretation of how that would blow out into a curriculum. Yeah. And those are like two completely separate things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that. And I know a lot of other people don't either, because if you Google, you know, you just get what you get. Um, You get the interpretations Mm -hmm. more than than the philosophy. And so my issue was that. And then combined with the fact that the things that I did see were mostly really good. So it wasn't like, oh, this is horrible. These books are horrible and these stories are bad. It's like, oh, these are great books and these are really good stories. So I also struggled with that because what does that mean if I say Mm -hmm. that these are pretty awesome in general? I mean, there are a few problems, but in general, they are pretty great books, but it's not going so well in my house. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that mean that we're going to read like not great books? You understand what I'm saying? So yeah, it was like Mm -hmm. this huge kind of identity crisis. Like what am I doing and how am I going to move forward? But um, for me, I went back to kind of Mason's own words and her own philosophy. And the more I read, the more convinced I was that not only can you change these books to best meet the needs of your family, but like that's inherently built into it. She specifically, Mm -hmm. she could have given us a very specific recipe for how to do what she was talking about. And she says in multiple places, I'm actually not going to give you Mm -hmm. this very specific recipe, kind of in my own words, but like, because it's going to mess it all up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you are, it's a living education and Mm -hmm. you as the guide, you know, working under the Holy spirit, um, as the true, the child's supreme educator, right? You're, you're going to pull together something. And I think that it's likely to look very different than what somebody else is pulling together. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I don't, you know, kind of believe in curriculum or anything. I think it's awesome and great. It I see it more as like a skeleton, though. Mm-hmm. And you can use that as like your base idea and then see what works for you. If it works for you, great, because they already laid it all out. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't work for you, don't waste one second of your time thinking about whether you should or shouldn't or can you or can you not. And for me, a lot of it was this desire to be like hardcore or pure or to do a really good job. And again, the more I read, I felt like, actually, I think I'm more of a purist because I'm taking her philosophy and then applying it to my born persons Mm -hmm. because I'm understanding the philosophy more. In the beginning, I really had read a lot of books about her philosophy, but hadn't read her words myself. And so I was at the mercy of someone else's understanding. And therefore, the less I understood, the more um, beholden I was to doing exactly what somebody else was doing. So I say all that to say I made peace early on with the idea that um, I was going to shake things up and I was going to pour my special sauce all over <laughs> this school room for my kids. And that's where I, my, my local Charlotte Mason friends, I was the only black one. And I made a joke with them one day that I was like, well, y'all do that. But in my house, Charlotte Mason wears an Afro. So we're going to read this over here. Mm-hmm. And they all burst out laughing and they were like, Amber, like only you would say that. And so it, it just like, they, they perfectly understood what I was after. And I started using that publicly then. I was like, bust out on the scene. I'm Heritage Mom. I'm here to tell you, you can do Charlotte Mason your own way, whether it's because of your ethnic culture, because of your children's needs, because of the mm-hmm. your husband is a pilot and you guys are always sleeping in and stay up late and then you don't do school until three o'clock, whatever it is, I don't care. You can do it your own way and make it like super awesome and you're a rock star. It's not like you're denigrating the philosophy. And uh, that's kind of how it came to be. In terms of how I suggest people finding books to diversify, um, for me, the easiest thing were to kind of get into is history, just because those are the almost like our history time cycle is such an integral part of how we plan our books and our terms. And that was the place where I saw the most absence of black and brown voices, the history books. And then the secondary problem was when they were present, they were um, often like only negative, you know? And I was just like, dude, like, I know that there's a lot more to us than this, but sadly I was going to say embarrassingly, but I'm not really embarrassed about it. It just is what it is. I didn't know what more there really was. I knew there was more, but I also grew up in this education system with all of everyone else. And so I was ignorant, but I, because of my children, I was willing to learn it. And so Mm -hmm. I would stay up at night and learn like what happened with Black people across the world during these different historical time periods. And I started pulling books and reading them and asking for help from different places and and all that. So I suggest starting with the history books. And um, I think that honestly, like word of mouth and being really involved in the community, you can start to pick up on different book recommendations from people. You guys have a ton of book recommendations that are searchable by in, you know, and you can find a lot of that there. And even the conversations, right, on the page, on the Facebook page are like, super rich, um, where these moms can just tell you, you know, whatever you need to know. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned you already spoke with Nicole from like Stories mm-hmm. of Color. So like searching there, I just found a lot of Google searches. And, and then I put whatever I find out on my website to save other people time and effort. And if other people are doing that too, we collectively as a community can almost like crowdsource um, yeah. better resources for our kids. I think your site, you also have like little packets of... Yes different time periods? Is that how they're broken down? Yeah, some of them are um, just uh, general. Some of them are cultural, like an African culture, but some of them are like uh, follow, like a deep dive. And I think it's like 24 weeks into the Harlem Renaissance or oh, wow. um, 36 weeks into the civil rights movement. So to me, it, were, it was these things that sometimes get like a paragraph 
and yeah. some of the books that I was reading with my kids, like I was like the Harlem Renaissance, a paragraph. Yeah. I'm like, that was like, it like, it like changed everything. Like yeah. all the music we listened to, a lot of the poetry, but I was like, I can't even. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote, you know, these plans for my own kids. And so the heritage packs on my website, I'm not a curriculum writer. That's not like a goal or job of mine. I don't even want that job. Um, but what I do is when I create lessons for my own children, I share them. And yeah. so people have like put in requests and stuff. And I'm like, uh, I don't take requests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ain't nobody got time for that. So I just yeah. package up what I'm already doing. Yeah, that's awesome. So with what you're saying about the history books and the representation, how much have you been loving all the picture book biographies that have been hitting the market in the last like five years? Oh my gosh. I'm excited. Yeah. If you can see like all around me and these different places, I mean, it's just been everything. And I, I, the problem is that when the, you know, years ago I would buy all of them, right. Because Mm -hmm. I could, now it's like, I'm like, I actually yeah. can't even own all of these mm-hmm. because they're coming out at such a quick pace and they're so beautiful and they're so good. And I'm really thankful for this kind of style of education and the community of women around me because I've always known that reading picture books, even with older kids, was like totally fine and a cool thing to do. And so even with my two middle schoolers, man, we are going through all those picture books. Like that yeah. sometimes people are like, oh, my, well, my middle schoolers. I was like, these books are good. You uh-huh. need to be, yeah. I'm going to still be reading them as an adult. You know, I'm not yeah. getting rid of these books. I'm keeping them for my grandkids. That's why I tell yeah. my husband. Um, yeah. He's giving me side eye, like about why I keep getting these books. But um, they're just they're, it's explosive and beautiful and awesome. And at the same time, I want to see more of that zest with chapter books. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Because those are much more wanting. We're not yeah. there in that area yet. Yeah, I yeah. agree. One of the things that I really like with the picture books is, like you're saying, having older kids read them. So last year we had a light formal education year because we were displaced from our fire. Everything was in storage. We were in the middle of building our house unexpectedly. But my 14-year-old at the time, she read 400 picture books because like I was checking them out to pre-read for the website. And so she was just reading them alongside me and she started curating for me, like bringing me her favorites, bringing me ones that she thought I would like the best, bringing ones that she thought spoke to each other, that these books were communicating a similar message or a similar theme. And once she hit like book 200, I was like, are you reading the author notes? And she's like, no. And I was like, yeah, you got to read the author notes. You're 14. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so then she started reading the author notes, but those things are written for adults. Like there's yeah. so much information in the one to five page author notes at the back of these picture books that I think is beautiful because especially for visual people, you have these gorgeous illustrations throughout the book that become mental pegs for all this further information in the author's note to hang on and be like, oh, wow, like all this happened. So what you were saying about the Harlem Renaissance getting a a paragraph in a book, I remember when I was a kid feeling annoyed at how much only got a sentence or two in my history books that I was like, I feel like there's more to this story or Mm -hmm. you didn't tell me anything about this except that it happened. But like, what were the ramifications for different things? And I remember specifically like the Tulsa race massacre only having one or two sentences in my history book. And it's always been like niggling in the back of my head when people are like, oh, no one's even heard of it. I'm like, well, you know, I did hear of it, but I just don't know about it. And then reading Carol Boston Weatherford's picture book on it and then all the information in the back, I'm like, this is what I wish I had read when I was younger to understand what was happening alongside time-wise all these other books that I was reading and be like, these these were contemporary issues. I had no idea. And so I, I really appreciate, like, yeah, we would never, even if we went to some curriculum, I would still be like, scratch whatever their history lesson is. I think that my kid's going to get a better education just through picture books and reading the author notes than through any of these other formal books that seem to focus on 
on the things that like everybody knows, you know, learn about these events. So I cannot agree with you more. I like, I, I mean, I just, I completely agree. And, um, I think the other thing about the picture book format is that you can touch upon so many different areas and people that then those areas and people that interest the kids, they can go deeper. Right. It's like, right. An, it's like an, an ability to like get this introduction, this like good, mm-hmm. healthy introduction to so many different people, places. But then some of them, like the kids are like, I want to know more. Like, what about this? What about that? And I mean, it's just led to them then going and entering into like a chapter book or a more dense nonfiction book that they wouldn't have been interested in the beginning. But now they're like, oh, because I want to know more. Mm -hmm. I'm so into this, you know. So I think it's um, it's just a great, uh, you know, teaching and life Mm -hmm. tool. And they're and they're just so beautiful, too. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. My my daughter hasn't been inspired to read any history books that are very stretching for her yet. I'm sure it will come. But that did happen with the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, <laughs> she, she loves she loves Nessie. Nessie is like her little soul spirit animal. And so uh, Jeannie Bendick has a book on the Loch Ness Monster. And so when Inara, when it finally clicked for her and she went from not reading at all to reading at a fourth grade level in one summer when she was eight and a half she went and read that which was definitely higher than where she was but like she persevered through that that older kid book to to find out everything she could about Nessie so I definitely that's how they do it right and that's like really to me whenever I see those moments I'm like this is why we're doing what we're doing Like when they take ownership over that learning, no matter how obscure it may be, Mm -hmm. but when they want to know about something, you cannot stop these kids. Like that's it. And they're just going to keep going and digging and, and all of that. Um, versus, you know, I see that versus when I'm like, come on, read this, let's do this. This this really inspires me. Therefore I really want it to inspire you. (laughs) And it's like pulling teeth, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading, this is a little bit unrelated, but I was reading a book about church planting and it was, it was irritating me because it was very not Charlotte Mason because it was all about people as vessels. And it was like, you know, I don't treat my child as this vessel that I have to stuff things in. Why am I being treated like this by this author of this book? I reject (laughs) it. (laughs) You're like, no, no. Gotta give things that inspire people, not just stuff them full of information. Yeah. It's funny. Something funny. My uh, kids, especially my oldest, you know, she's like, why do people pay you to like come and talk about the books we read and stuff like that? She was like, I don't get it. And like trying to explain it. And I actually just, it filled my heart when she said that even in her little teenager, you know, annoying thing was because I realized this is such a part of life, normal life for them, that they don't even realize that what we do in our home is a thing. Mm-hmm, they yeah. don't really know that it's kind of revolutionary yeah. in so many yeah. ways. So they're confused as to, it's like if someone was like, come talk about drinking water. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, well, <laughs> doesn't everybody drink water? And so when I told them, I was like, no, actually there are people who don't read about, you know, any of these people we read about don't we have any of these books or, you know, mm-hmm. and they're just like jaw dropped. Like they just couldn't believe it. And I thought two things. One, I got it. I got to get these kids out more. Um, (laughs) I just thought like, wow, this is, I I just thank God, you know, because that was so far off of where I started. And the fact that these years later, they don't even remember how else it could be. tells me that he came in and filled the gaps in ways that I never could have. So I'm just thankful. I've been told that too. You can't just learn from books. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? Well, like, so now it's working pretty well. <laughs> so beyond beyond the books, though, Charlotte Mason mm-hmm. is very heavy in the riches. So music, art, poetry, and these can be great opportunities for finding the diversity in all the different arts. So how how do you approach it in your homeschool? Those are actually my favorite places to, uh, you know, have these like inclusive studies because 
the history books require a ton of research on my end, again, because of my lack of knowledge and, and understanding. So I'm starting everything from ground zero. But the music, the art and the poetry, I'm like, oh, I got that. <laughs> um, and I recognize those things that are culturally affirming and in imagery and in sound. They are like naturally in me, right, from growing mm -hmm. up in this way. And so I find it to be incredibly enriching to study, yes, classical music and like composers of all backgrounds, female composers and Black composers and composers from other countries and cultures, but also different types of music. And I think like in a lot of Charlotte Mason homes, it's like it's classical or bust. And I mean, okay, that's fine. I, I grew up playing that. I played the cello for, for many years until I went away to college. I love classical music. But also there are all these other genres of music and even, you know, all of us using folk songs as a legitimate, you know, aspect yeah. of a Charlotte Mason education. And I'm like, well, if folk songs, then blues, the blues you know, or jazz or, yeah. um, you know, I gave a Charlotte Mason talk this past weekend at a conference and, you know, I did all my normal Charlotte Mason stuff, but it, it was about poetry. And then at the end I was like, and, um, you know, I recited a poem, but it was actually the words to a hip hop song. And <laughs> I was like, you know, poetry can be found everywhere and not just, mm -hmm. in, you know, to be hidden away in fancy China cabinets with people who are, you know, are doing only what they know for their own kids. But throughout the world, throughout the community, um, people of all in all cultures have always created. They've always yeah. created visual art and they've always used language and music in whatever ways. Um that their culture deems relevant and storytelling is something that is, it shows up in every culture. And, and a lot of the ways that we find those stories are through verse and poetry, through music and through art. And so those are my three favorite areas to study in my um, family. And we do it kind of in two ways. We well, really three ways. We study a lot of the traditional things that a lot of other Charlotte Mason families study because those are also beautiful and wonderful. And then we also study things that are our own culture. So sometimes that's African-American culture. And sometimes I'll just say a wider Black diaspora, because it's not always for the United States. And then we intentionally study other cultures that aren't traditionally found in a lot of curricula and not my culture that I don't know anything about. And we study those mm -hmm. as well. And it's been the best part of our homeschooling journey by far, those riches. How do you know what to study? Um, Google. <laughs> Google is your friend. I was sitting here, I paused for a second because I wanted to give like a better answer, but you know, I, I, I end up following a lot of rabbit trails. Okay, even when you talked about the author's note in the back of those picture books, like some, a lot of times they'll mention people's mm -hmm. names or they'll have like recommended reading, additional yeah. recommended reading. Like I'll read those things. Like I'll yeah. look those things up and then I'll look at the like bibliography in a lot of these books and see like what are their sources and where are they getting them from? And sometimes just, you know, I have like boring books. Like let's see what's here. This it's not boring. It's an exciting book, but it's a big, huge book. You wouldn't read it straightforward. It's a, a history of African-American artists from 1792 to the present. And it's an old book and a lot of black and white pages. They're huge, very dense text. I'm not going to read this cover to cover. <laughs> but what I will do all the time is look at the table of contents. And yeah. just, I mean, honestly, I don't know. Years ago when I started this, I didn't know who anybody in this book was, to be honest. So mm -hmm. it didn't matter. I just picked one. And I, that was in our historical time period. And I would read whatever chapter they had in this book. And then I would find, I would Google pictures or songs or poems and print them out or save it in my YouTube or whatever. And I would just do it with my kids. So it was very, um, I'll say, ad hoc. Some may say clunky. But the longer I've gone, the sharper and more professional my stuff has become. And in a lot of ways, I miss those ad hoc days where the night before a lesson, I'm on YouTube listening to different songs and my mm -hmm. mind is like blown because I've never heard this person or heard of them. And, you know, they're just making me emotional about how they poured their story out in song yeah. or, or whatever. So, um, I think some of these like index types book type books that you wouldn't read cover to cover. All I need is a name, really. And then I'll research it on my own. But a lot of times I don't even know who to ask about or what to look up because I just, I, 
I don't know anything really about this stuff except what I'm learning as my kids are growing. Oh, that's awesome. That is very good. I loved what you shared about the hip hop song because (laughs) Eric has always, always made fun of me because I I enjoy some hip hop music and he's like, He's like, do you just like the beat? And I was like, no, I like the stories. Like they're telling oh, yeah. really good stories. Like, yes, know? yes. Especially when I, I was shared, you know, in that talk, I was sharing that the hip hop artist Kendrick Lamar won a Pulitzer Prize in 2018. So oh, really? What I was reciting was some of his lyrics, and I was trying to give them an idea of why the Pulitzer board. You know, like why? Yeah. why that's such an unlikely choice. But you know, some of these socially conscious hip hop, you know artists mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, their work is like, it's, it's amazing. It's, yeah. It's amazing. So anyway, and then there's also, I said, and then there's also R rated misogynistic right. violent <laughs> rap twaddle. Yeah. And that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so, you know, sure. Twaddle lives everywhere. That's uh-huh. a joke, yeah. but yeah. So what about hymns? I know that hymns have a very rich cultural history in the black American community And so I know as a kid, when I was reading books that did have black people in them, they often were singing. And that was something that that I knew about that culture. And then as I got older, my other mother, as I call her, is Mrs. Brown, and she's my my black mama. And I spent a ton of time in South Chicago at her church and she was the choir director and just hearing all the passion and all the all the hymns and all of that. So I'd, I'd love to hear how you how you've moved through hymns with your kids. Yeah. So when we first started, again, you know, we were kind of using the same hymns and links that other moms around me were using for their studies, sometimes part of a curriculum, sometimes just things that were shared online. And it was fine. I printed out the words. We sat at the table. It was part of our morning time. We sang the hymns. We learned them. They were enjoyable. Praise and worship. It was great. And um, then one day, one morning, my husband happened to be working from home and he came downstairs and we were singing a hymn and he was standing behind the kids and he goes, he mouths the words, what are you doing? And (laughs) I was like, no. And so I go, kids, I was like, I have to tell you something. Mommy and daddy have never sung this song this way. We've never heard it sung this way. I just... I'm busting out and I changed the YouTube video and I was like, mm. you know, like, get this going. And then like Scott and I were like singing and my kids were like, what is that? Wait, I have to know what him. allowed to do this to this song. I have and to know I- what him. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, it, I don't even remember what hymn it was. I don't even remember what hymn it was. It was something that was, you know, just like a typical regular, this was years ago, right? This was just mm-hmm. typical regular hymn. I don't know. Um, and when we changed it to the gospel version of it and Scott and I were like singing and we were like clapping and it was like hallelujah and there was ad-libbing going on and all this, my kids were just like, oh, I mean, they came alive. And yeah. I was like, you know, I don't know why I did that. I was trying to, um, I guess I was trying, I like wasn't sure if that was part of like being well-educated or something. Yeah. Like, Playing things the formal way. Knowing the dirge version of all this. (laughs) I I don't know. I didn't know. I was like, again, it came back to everybody else was doing it. So I think I was, I entered homeschooling from a place of insecurity Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what I was doing. I had never planned to homeschool. So I copycatted Mm -hmm. and it led me down a a path of, I learned a lot, first of all. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the positive things that I brought to the table for my kids, I learned from other people. And I'm so thankful for that. But I also brought some things I could have left out. And mm-hmm. so then when I played that song for them and they were like, dude, we got to listen to it like that every time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, I want to. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't I don't want them. I don't want to present it like gospel. The gospel version is the best or only version. So I continued to play. I don't know what, what you would call it. But the, oh, you know, like whatever. <laughs> and so I would play that and then we'd play the gospel. And then I started thinking, well, those aren't the only two ways. I live in the South. Mm-hmm. I live in Georgia. I heard him sung like bluegrass and like mm-hmm. country. And um, my cousin really loves Celtic music. And like she listens to hymns that way. And there in- beautiful instrumentals and jazz and acapella. I was just like, so we started listening to the hymns in all the ways. 
And him study became my family's absolute favorite. And so this was a long time ago. I wrote a blog post about it and I gave an example of like one him and I linked to all the things we used when we were studying it. And people went bonkers. They were like, what? Like, why have you not been talking about this? Like, share more. And so I started sharing our hymn studies. So on my website, you'll find like Heritage Hymns Volume 1 and Heritage Hymns Volume 2. And in each one, I have like 15 hymns. And I I just link to like the traditional version, contemporary, soulful, country, jazz, um, maybe just for fun. It could even be just, uh, you know, a homeschool family just on there, mm-hmm. busting out the banjo or guitar and just singing. So as more people started using them, I just started getting all of this incredible feedback like, Amber, what in the world? This is so good. And I think it comes back to what all of us, what rings this true, like with a capital T for all of us, mm-hmm. in that the words are all the same. And we can all have different expressions that we prefer. And sometimes it's a cultural expression and sometimes it's cross-cultural, like, you know, it doesn't fall along race or ethnicity or anything like that. We can all have our preferred style of music, but at the end of the day, the words are all the same. And that praise and worship to our our holy God is the same and that we can stand in celebration with each other. And I can be like, okay, that music doesn't light me up, that style of music, but I love hearing you sing it because I know what it means and what you're doing in that worship. And so I wanted my kids to hear everything, all the different styles and you choose and it can be different for each song. Maybe you like the gospel version of this song, but you like the contemporary um, version of this song and you really love the bluegrass twang of this song. And I think it's all good. So the hymns that I chose aren't from any single denomination. My family attends a non-denominational church. And so I pulled them from hymnals of different denominations and mixed them all up. So people should know that. And uh, it's just, it includes the lyrics and a light melody in terms of the piano music. It's not like the full out music, but um, I love it. And I love studying it that way. And I, I'm just really excited that so many other people have felt like it was life-giving for them too. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love I, hymns, but it, I don't like that people feel like they have to sing it like a funeral procession. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Speaking was- of funeral processions, I have <laughs> to share this story. So At this point in my life, I think that Amazing Grace on the bagpipes will just always mean a funeral to me because when my my dad passed 10 years ago and Mm -hmm. my sister is a very gifted violinist and vocalist and so she's played for some really big bands for their concerts and so um, one of the bands she played with there one of their musicians also plays bagpipes. So he came and played Amazing Grace on bagpipe at the beginning of my dad's memorial service. And it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then we just had my grandma's funeral service this month. And my, my mom lives in this tiny town in what my sister refers to as the Florida of Iowa. It's like the very little piece that hangs off the bottom, bottom right corner of Iowa. And the weather is always warmer there. So really, if Iowa had a Florida, Keokuk is that Florida. But my, my the cemetery my grandparents are buried in is just like right over the border into Missouri. And so for my grandma's service in Keokuk, my mom had a bagpipe player come and play Amazing Grace. And then she remarkably was able to find a second bagpiper. Neither of these men knew the other existed because it was going to be too long of a day for just one of them. And so the second bagpiper came to the cemetery. And it was so funny because I volunteered to bring my grandma's ashes from the luncheon to the cemetery so that my mom wouldn't have to remember one more thing. So mm-hmm. we get there in the first cluster of people and the other people are like 10 minutes behind us. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Like I can see over there that the ground is already next to grandpa's tombstone. And I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll go set it on the grass next to grandpa's tombstone. And we have this little plaque with her name and we'll just set it next to it. And it can just be there waiting for people. I've, I've received no direction as to what yeah. I'm supposed to do. Right. So I get out of my car with this beautiful pink urn, and the second my foot hits the grass, the bagpipe starts playing. And I'm like, oh, no, apparently 
grandma proceeding across the grass was going to be some message to the bagpiper. So I stayed my course, kept walking, (laughs) put it over there. My mom is like, oh, no, nobody's here yet. And so she had to like go tell the bagpiper, you know, when everybody else gets here, I'm going to leave you. Oh, my gosh. It was the funniest moment of that day for me. Like, literally, my foot hits the grass and this, like, I didn't even see him there. This swelling bagpipes start in the middle of this cornfield in Iowa. And I'm just like, okay. The bagpipe player is like, I got one job. I'm going to do my job right. And he's, like, watching, right? Wow. That's such an interesting story. Both both times it was Amazing Grace because that's my my grandma's favorite song. So same thing with me. Not the minus the bagpipes, but my (laughs) my dad passed. It was also my mom's best friend saying a I mean the most beautiful rendition of Amazing Grace I've ever heard. And it just Oh gosh, it tore me up. So um, I have that same affiliation with that song. So that's yeah. That. yeah, yeah. I think like so many of us, we have these stories behind hymns, and mm-hmm. that's part of why I wanted it to be something that the children enjoyed, something that they mm-hmm. would always remember. That they would tuck these words away into their hearts because there are moments in your life, you know, the little our little kids, they don't always know like that trouble is yeah. going to come. You can tell them, but they, they don't really understand that trouble will come. Yep. And in those moments, there are times when you don't have words, right. like you're in the throes of such pain or turmoil that like coherent words won't come. But in those moments, I've always been able to sing or think of those words mm-hmm. or hum. And it's like sometimes I use the hymns as a prayer because I don't even have words of prayer. I don't have anything to give okay. or say in those moments, the, the worst moments of my life. Yeah. But I've been able to call up hymns. And so I want that to be like a gift like to my children. And I'll tell you this one other story uh, in terms of storytelling. But uh, we went to a family reunion a couple years ago. Um, and it's like my family came from all over the country and we're meeting far away from where we live and all. And at that point, my kids didn't really – they're just then getting old enough to really know people and stuff like that. So they didn't really remember most of these people. And on the last day of the family reunion, we always have church service together. And um, so everyone in the room is standing up. My grandmother was one of 12. So it's all of her siblings and their spouses and all their kids and their kids and their kids. And the entire room starts singing the same hymn. And we had studied that hymn in, in school, Come Ye Disconsolate. And disconsolate. And my kids start, knew all the words, of course. And they're looking around the room and they're like, Mama mama and I'm like but they're like everyone here knows all the words (laughs) and I was just like um you know my great-grandfather was a deeply religious man and what he gave his family was his mark of um this idea of hymns and the Mm -hmm. beauty of singing them and it flowed out through every corner of our country and even people who have moved to different parts of the world and when we come back together every two or three years as a family we all have these these same songs in our heart and I just think that that's rare like that you would have a body of music Mm -hmm. that cousins third and fourth cousins who don't even know each other but we all know these same songs so I do think there's just so much power in the story um behind hymns and so much what what that brought to my mind about the gift for your children to have the knowledge of these my great-grandma lived to be 103 and when you live that long and you keep your mind, you lose everything else, your ability to walk, your ability to use your hands, your eyesight, your hearing. And what she had left was the poems and the hymns and the songs that she had Mm -hmm. memorized, the verses she had memorized. Mm -hmm. That was what she had left to comfort her in those last couple of years. And so when I think about those good gifts that um, we learn, especially in a CM style, that's what I I think of like, I'm so glad my great grandma had that. Mm-hmm. And I want to have that so that when I don't have, you know, when I'm in situations where I don't have anything else. Yes. I have those things. Wow. That's yeah. beautiful, Amanda. It's really beautiful. Music is so powerful. I was seeing in this group yesterday, somebody, it's a neurodiverse group on Facebook, and they were upset that in another neurodiverse group that they were in, their question had been rejected for infantilizing people with autism. And they were saying that they're a teacher and what they had requested in that group was they wanted to know songs 
that had educational value, things that taught different history facts or science facts or whatnot that they could teach their students. And their students were in like second through fifth grade, somewhere in that window. Mm. And they were accused of infantilizing autistic people. Mm. And everyone in this other group is like, uh, no way, dog. Like everything that I know from school when I was younger that I still recall is anything that was set to music. And that's the way it is for me. And somebody actually said, no way, dog. That wasn't like my own. Mm. own (laughs) That sounds so weird saying it, but like that was literally what somebody's response had been. Um, But like, I can tell you, you know, put quotation marks around the following titles, short stories and songs, poems, chapters, articles, other parts of magazines and other parts of books, like only because it's to a tune. I can tell you all the helping verbs to a tune, anything that I was taught to a tune. And my children will tell you all the body parts, like if it starts in your mouth, everything it's going to hit until it comes out again, because they really like on YouTube, kids learning tube. Everything mm-hmm. is set to music, science stuff, history stuff, nature stuff, just anything under the sun, Kids Learning Tube has set to music and that's their favorite channel. And, you know, Everhart was asking me yesterday if people eat blood or drink blood. And I was like, interesting question. Why are we asking this? And he's like, well, because, because the spleen holds a cup of it. And I was like, interesting piece of information. <laughs> but I was like, no, that just means that the spleen itself is holding a cup of the blood in your body. Not that you drink a cup of blood and now it's in your spleen. That's not what that's saying. So, right. we, you know, we have to unpack some of that's this. Like, good question. <laughs> it is a good question. You know, he was like, this just seems very odd to me. But they did say a cup of blood. Yeah. So well, you could go. Some cultures do drink blood. Yeah, yeah, right. We we did have conversations, you know, what the Bible says about consuming blood and mm-hmm. things like this. But it just, you know, especially for autistic minds, like I don't feel that it's infantilizing at all. I think it's empowering because we are able to hold this information that otherwise our brains would say this is not interesting and discount it. But if you put a tune to it, we're like, okay, we can't get rid of this if we want to. And I similarly to Amanda's story about how when you get really old, the things you remember, when I was 11, my grandfather had a stroke and it hit the left side of his brain. So the right side of his body was paralyzed. And when he was in recovery at the hospital, my grandma asked the doctor, she like, is he ever going to speak again? And the doctor said, well, he will probably be able to say the words that he said the most before his stroke, to which my grandma stomped her foot and said, I wanted some good news and turned around and walked away. So my grandfather was still able to swear. That was what he was able to voluntarily come up with. And he could count to five and he could say A, B, C, D. And other than that, though, he could sing because that's the other side of your brain. Any song he knew, and he knew a lot of them, if you started singing it, he would start singing it too. So from the age of 11 until my grandfather passed, a few years ago, my favorite day of the year was my birthday because my grandparents would call, they would sing happy birthday to you, and it would be the one time a year he would use my name in the song without it being prompted. Like no one would say, say Amber, and then he would say yes. Amber. Like it just, it would come naturally because that was something that he knew. And so I just think it's so powerful. Music is so powerful. And and like you said, hymns, for me as well, in the most painful moments of my life, that is what comes to mind. And when I when I had nightly, it wasn't a hymn, but I had had I'd had a miscarriage and then got pregnant with him the next month. And I had not even started processing that last miscarriage. And it was mm-hmm. my third miscarriage. And I was just in a really dark spot. I didn't really expect this pregnancy to carry through. And so I'd, I'd never really embraced the fact that I was having another child because I wasn't sure I was having another child. And sure. so when he was born, I just had this swelling of healing in my heart. And I had no choice but to sing to that child. So my first mm-hmm. thing to him was that that little kid song that I knew. You know, I love um, Skittily Winka Dinkadink. Skittily Winka I love you. And that's like always been our song ever since then. Like I sing that to him at bed every night. But like these songs are powerful and they shape us and they form us because of the stories they hold, right? That was a story of I love you. That was a story of you are everything to me. And and so it it is so powerful. And I, I love the fact that that hymns are something that cross so many so many cultural lines, so many, yes. 
you know, experiences, the, the words are true and that, that story holds. Yeah. So true. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, thank you so much for your time, Amber. This was such an interesting conversation and there's so much more I'd love to pick your brain about at (laughs) another time. Yes, (laughs) Yes. definitely. But I would love to hear a little bit about your book. So that just released and I'm so excited for you. I saw all the different number one positions it's holding on Amazon right now. And that is fantastic. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So um, it's called A Place to Belong. And the uh, subtitle is Celebrating Diversity and Kinship in the Home and Beyond. So a lot of what we talked about today is in here. Um, I talk about the the history, um, approaching history with our children and poetry and music and art and nature and all of those beautiful things. But I also talk about so much more. I talk about a chapter of Books on Mirrors, um, Books as Mirrors, a chapter on Books as Windows, and then a chapter on like who gets to decide what is a good book anyway. And is there a body of people or is there a list of books that are the creme de la creme? And I think my answer will surprise people. Um, it's not necessarily what, what, what they'll assume that I'm going to say. So um, then there are chapters on travel and language acquisition, on media and technology, and then just on our, our general home environment. And the premise behind the book is that, um, you know, I see so much stuff like it's so divisive. And rather than actually talking about what's good for our children, everyone's just fighting. They're fighting like politically. They're fighting like, I want to win. I want to tear down my opponent. I disagree with you. So therefore I hate you. Um, That's kind of, yeah, it was just like frustrating. me. And I was like, what about the children? Right? (laughs) Like even these like arguments about like public school and what they're going to teach and the books that are going to be banned. And it's like, I win. You suck, you know? And I'm like, what about the kids? What about them? Like, what are we thinking about their hearts and the type of people they're going to grow to be and all of this? And so I wanted something different. I wanted to have a different discussion. And my book is based on the premise that we all love our kids, that we all care about our communities and want the best for both. Now, on everything else, we may disagree. But on that right there, I have mm-hmm. found commonality with every, every parent, every sane parent. You know, I've found mm-hmm. commonality with them on that. And I wrote the book from that place. So it's a non-sectarian view and appeal to families everywhere to celebrate the children that God has given you and your family culture and your heritage and your roots and not just ethnic roots, you know, what people consider to be ethnic or black and brown, but also um, speaking a lot to my white friends here and what they, you know, can dig into with their families that I find to be really fascinating and amazing. And then the idea that while we're celebrating ourselves, we also need to teach our children to celebrate others. And so if you water deep roots and your children feel tethered to their own story within your home, they will spread wide branches towards other people. That's what the book is about. And it's available in hardcover and ebook. And I recorded the audio book myself, um, which is a, a lot of fun. And you can find it everywhere that books are sold. The website is a place to belong book.com. Very nice. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank I'm you. I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm, Thank you. <laughs> it's one of those things where you just have like so many books you have to read. Like that's what's killing me this year is I've really gotten into read like doing advanced reader copies. Yeah. That that's a deadline. Yes, it is. <laughs> so it's like I have so many books on a deadline right now. And then my poor daughter, my poor 14-year-old, 15-year-old, she finished her first book. I'm so proud of her. Oh, that's I amazing. I haven't read it yet. I thought I was halfway through it. It was beautiful. And then I'm like, it's missing the second half, babe. And she's like, what? No. And she's like looking over my shoulder. And she's like, mom, you're reading like the first copy that I sent you two years ago. And she's like, the new book is like nothing like that. I did so much better when I went through and like rewrote a bunch of stuff. She's like, I can't believe you think that twaddle is good. (laughs) Don't disrespect me, mom. (laughs) But then, so like I've started reading the second draft of it, but I was like, oh, all the parts I loved are still here. So, you know, the parts I loved, I you found them worthy as well. But yeah, so I just, it is on my short list of books that I want to just read for pleasure is yeah. the place to belong. So well, I, I'm excited for you. Here. I'm excited Thank that you were you. able to um, get that out there and yeah. also 
be able to read the audiobook yourself. That's always exciting when the authors read their own books. Yes, you have such a nice voice. So I think oh, thank you. Audiobook. Some people yes. I can't even listen to. There's no. a lot of storytelling in there. And they were, you know, when the publisher asked me about it, I was just like, I can't bear for someone else to read my stories, yeah. my family's yes. stories. So yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. I get that. Well, people can find you online through Heritage Mom, a bunch of places, through yes. your place to belong book.com. Mm-hmm. And we thank you again for your time and all the books that we talked about today. And the links to different products that Amber offers on her site will be in our show notes. So people can go and find them there. And remember, the stories are truer than true. And we will see you all next time. <laughs>